Okay, I'm sorry. Let's discuss this calmly, calmly and rationally. Yeah, and in English, if you don't mind, all right? Okay. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm tween card sharp Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with the lone boy marooned at an all-girls camp, Jeb Lund. <laughs> Hi, Jeb. Hi. You know, in, uh, in Jesse versus uh, Ferguson, I like Jesse. <laughs> Yikes. And joining us again today is the Annie <laughs> to my Hallie, give or take a handful of freckles. It's the co-host of Extra Hot Great, again with this, Listen to Sassy, and the sweet smell of succession, Tara Ariano. Cheerio, Tara. Hello. I'd like to ask you to not start a new podcast during this podcast. <laughs> Look, one of those is only on for part of the year, and it's been two years, so give me a break. Okay. <laughs> also, no promises. Sp- Speaking of podcasts that are only on for part of the year, before we get into our main topic today, which is The Parent Trap, the remake, a little pod business. Tara is, to date, our only guest who has treated with Dennis Quaid's podcast, The Denisance. More like The Denisance, am I right? It remains dead. Indeed. Any other pod business? No. Yeah, I think you can stop doing this segment, probably. <laughs> I don't. I feel like the second we stop doing it, he's going to restart the Denisance, and then it's it's bringing the Maloik. So nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. All right, the Parent Trap, nineteen ninety eight. This is when uh, Dennis Quaid, I think, begins to um, move into the Zaddy slash Dilf portion of his career. Uh, not, not sure net how that's going to go, but, uh, let's do a plot summary. 1986, Nick Parker, that's Dennis Quaid and Elizabeth James, the late Natasha Richardson, meet on the QE2 and get married on the QE2. Fast forward 11 years to their respective daughters, Hallie and Annie, who both look eerily like a young Lindsay Lohan, meeting in an East Coast summer camp. After a fencing face-off and a prank war land them both in an isolation cabin, where apparently they spend the bulk of the summer by themselves, unsupervised, except going to the mess hall for a popsicle once in a while, the two of them bond and discover their long-lost twins. Never mind that this is a plot conceived not just for children, but apparently by a child who doesn't understand how human emotions or custodial arrangements work. They immediately begin conspiring to bring their parents back together by switching places when camp comes to an end, figuring that when the jig is up and they have to be swapped back, their parents will have to meet and work their shit out. There's just one problem. Well, there's a shit ton of problems, but according to the movie, once most of the adults have figured out the twins' ruse and started trying to untangle it, it's really just the one, Nick's gold-digging fiancé, Meredith. Meredith is more relatable than the script seems to realize and is played with Elaine Hendricks with delicious flair as Meredith is subjected to camping and eventually what amounts to a murder attempt. (laughs) But she's an obstacle, tiring at last of the story's failure to understand how single parents interact with anyone. Meredith demands that Nick choose between her and the girls. Naturally, he chooses the girls. Naturally, this doesn't entirely clear the way for the great romance between him and Lizzie to resume. And she and Annie go back to England, only to find that Nick and Hallie have beaten them there by taking the Concord, R.I.P. And Elizabeth's like, seriously? And Nick's like, I'm played by Dennis Quaid and this is a movie, so fucking go with it. And they remarry <laughs> on the QE2, their respective major D's also get engaged to each other. Roll credits. 
Have I missed anything? No. No. Okay. This movie is two hours and nine minutes long. And I felt every minute of it. I really did. I don't quite know why that is. I have seen this before. I don't recall it being quite this long and sort of difficult to plug into. I remember finding it really charming the first time I watched it. And this time it really felt like a labor. Tara, how many times have you seen The Parent Trap? Oh, at least 10. Way more times than a person who was 23 when it was released (laughs) should have seen it. Uh Certainly. I owned it on VHS. That's how much I liked this movie when it came out. And I acknowledge everything you say. It's really dumb. But like all Nancy Myers movies, and I'm sure we'll get into this, you you watch it for, in part, for the aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And all of her movies are wish fulfillment narratives in one way or another. <laughs> and this one speaks to the wish fulfillment fantasies of the, you know, 11, almost 12 year old girl in me. So, uh, yeah, I, it's it is over long, but um, I love it anyway. I'm sorry. Mm, don't be. Jeb, was this your first contact with the trap du Perron? Not literally. I, I saw the Haley Mills one when I was a kid a mm-hmm. couple times, and I really liked that. But this was my first exposure to this. So, like, I knew the basic plot structure wasn't going to be a surprise. So, I was watching for what was going to be different. And maybe it's just like I took too much time off from the original, or and it was just like this. But this was just too much of everything. It was, uh, there was, there's a scene when they're setting up their galactically overdone prank on the <laughs> other um cabin <laughs> yeah where i'm i like i just wrote in all caps enough laughing and cackling and self-congratulation to wake the dead this is no self-respecting way to prank <laughs> and and mm-hmm. that always drives me crazy in movies when like the two characters whispering to each other like we have to be quiet when we're <laughs> stealing from the lube okay <laughs> you know and then they just exchange like four or five extraneous lines of dialogue and like that is this whole movie, every part of it is too loud when it does its thing. Mm -hmm. And coming off of watching my other gig of Hallmark, it was like just too much of that vibe in a concentrated span of a week for Mm -hmm. me to handle it. And I I definitely caught myself going like, I could play some Risk while this game is on. (laughs) Like, I'll open up an app and see if I can take all of Asia. (laughs) And I had to fight it. It was just like, why are you still going? And why is the knob just cranked? Yeah, there's charming parts of it that you sort of find these interludes where it's like, oh, this is what the movie should have been. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think that part of it is like even understanding what a Nancy Myers joint is. And you're talking to someone who is the only person who even saw I Love Trouble, much less liked it and thought it was good. (laughs) Yeah, AMA. There is something about this movie that is like, I think if it were just like on, like I understand why it would be a Poppy Fields movie. It's long. It's one of those things you can kind of have on and not think about too much. And it's like soothing in its predictability. But when you're watching it with a closer eye, just like everything takes a beat too long and it just lets the cracks in the premise show. Contemporary reviews didn't seem to agree with me on that. Ebert gave it three stars. Janet Maslin's like, you know, Ms. Lohan easily makes it credible that the two girls could switch places and hornswoggle their credulous parents. And 
as far as Lohan's performance is concerned, I agree. I think she's quite good in this, given what she has to do, the accent, whatever, but like she's a child. It's fine. That performance is good and cute and charming, but it would have been way cuter and more charming at an hour and 28. That's fair. And the only thing that I will say that I think will salvage some of my negativity is once I got into like, okay, I just kind of have to turn up the Hallmark brain on, which is actually right next to parent brain, really. Right. You know, a kid will enjoy this. Like it (laughs) wore easier once I was like, okay, I mean, this entire world is loud and dumb. Yeah, it's for kids. (laughs) Yeah, if you're a kid. Or if you're just like, okay, I accept. Yeah, I mean, and I think there's also this like mid-century indoorsy kids who read a lot series of synapses that like the idea of having a long lost twin that you might discover at camp. Like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) I absolutely get it. And I, I want to give myself up to it. The problem is that it's just like a little bit too casual in editing so that you have time to look down (laughs) and you're like out over this canyon. Like this is not how people behave. I actually have a clip of, I think Annie immediately post switch trying to paper over the fact that she's sort of obsessed with saying the word dad. Then she goes on this monologue about like, imagine having no dad. And it's like, this is not like tonally, this is not how this is going to play given that these children have been kept apart not just from each other, but from their other parent, most of their lives. Here's clip two. Imagine someone's life without a father. Never buying a Father's Day card, never sitting on their father's lap, never being able to say, hi, Dad, or what's up, Dad, or catch you later, Dad. I mean, a baby's first words are always, Dad, Dad, aren't they? Let me see if I get this. You miss being able to call me Dad? Yeah, I really have, Dad. This is like years of therapy that's being played as a joke, and it just doesn't quite work for me. But I guess. Right, but I think the movie is, you know, on a premise level, not interested in the psychological reality of the no, situation. No, I agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. But this is sort of my, you know, this is the foundation problem from which all of my other problems with the movie sure. spring, unfortunately. Yes. I, I will say that is, that's kind of parent brain catnip. Because they do say stuff like that, like, I enjoy saying your name, or I like thinking about in, in these very simple declarations that are there working through something and having a breakthrough mm-hmm. in conceptualizing. And you're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> you're a person. <laughs> that scene happened. And I was like, OK, this is all right. <laughs> That's all fine. But like, then you have to maintain that tone. And then in the middle of it. Like, um, 15 minutes later, there's this scene in which Chessie, Nick's whatever, lieutenant, realizes who she's looking at and has this confirmed for her. And then the movie tracks back to how, you know, how an aunt basically of this loved child would actually react outside of the, like, under the fantasy net. Mm-hmm. And this is the issue. Like, you have you have to maintain the blitheness of this arrangement and in a couple of scenes like it just cracks open and there's all this like reunion feeling which was sort of lovely but also then for the rest of the movie you're like well jesus this is like really fucked 
up. Anyway, he, here is Jesse um, just turning inside out with joy and, you know, sobbing. Clip three. Jesse, why are you looking at her like that? Like what? I'm not looking at her in any special way. I'm looking at her like I've looked at her for 11 years. Since the day she came home from the hospital. Six pounds, 11 ounces, 21 inches long. This is how I look at her. Can I hug her? Oh, she's so beautiful. And so big. I'm gonna make you something special to eat. What would you like? Anything? You know what? It doesn't matter. I'm just gonna whip up everything we've got, okay? I mean, yep. this is where it sort of lost me that as, you know, the auntie myself, I was just like, oh, God. I mean, this is how I talk about my nephew. And it's like, all right, you can't do both things. That was the problem for me. I don't disagree. But, you know, this this is what it is. It, yeah, it, it is. You know, until until they decide to do a uh, dark, fresh Prince of Bel-Air series <laughs> reboot of this right. that actually <laughs> digs into, you know, what it would actually feel like if your fucking shitty parents actually did this. You know, it has to keep it light. Yeah. And I just felt like this. I think they tried actually to play this as her, like, just being a funny, overly emotional reactor to the situation but to me it sort of got at something a little more serious there yeah but i mean this was a fun character who i enjoyed mm -hmm. i always enjoy elaine Hendricks. this is a really pretty thankless part in which even other characters are calling her cruella deville but she is eating the whole ham buffet with mustard love it yeah they make it up to her by having her be the only character in the movie that has good hair yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. How are we feeling about uh, visiting this first Starburst iteration of Lohan? I mean, I think Starburst is the right word. You can see that she's got it with a capital I. Mm -hmm. She's she's really got a lot of charisma and, and star quality, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we all know what happens <laughs> later. But you can see why there was a straight line from like this to Mean Girls. Yeah. Um, she's good. She's a good child actor. Yeah. And I think it's a credit to this performance that um, it's two performances, first of all, right. pretty, pretty good, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, overall. And that as the movie goes along, you do forget. Yes. Everything that has intervened. And like I recapped that show that she did with Oprah after mm. she got out of whatever she got out of that time. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I sat with her issues as an adult for a while, marinated in them, and I still kind of forgot about that because this performance is very charming. Jeb, any thoughts on Lilo? It was tough. I mean, my first reaction when she came out and did the English accent was to flash on that clip from uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Garbage Day! Because I was just like, no, no, just too precious. And then, you know, I got into it and then I was like, wow, this is, this is really good. She's doing a terrific job. And then in that same way that when I was in college, a guy once uh, came to my dorm room and overheard a track from Led Zeppelin 4 and said, these guys are pretty good. I think they've got a future, you know, and <laughs> he was wholly sincere. And I, I, I caught myself kind of going like, wow, you know, 
who is this person? And then you're like, oh, oh, that's right. This nightmare awaits. And I can't imagine what kind of grinder every male producer and rep and creep and hanger on of the power structure put this person through. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, the the children's movie vibe of it was kind of a, like a, a welcome unreality to kind of burrow in whenever I would stop and think about who was doing what on the screen. Welcome yeah. unreality is a perfect way to describe my feelings about this movie overall. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long had it been had it been since you had watched it the last time? Oh, a few years. Uh -huh. It's been a few years. Yeah. yeah. So you felt like uh Jeb and I were both gonna hate this. I didn't hate it. I just wanted it to, I wanted revisiting it to be more enjoyable than it was. I wanted it to hang together the way it did in my memory. I wanted all the charming mm -hmm. bits to kind of come together like blobs of mercury. And they just didn't quite, pretty sure Jeb hated it though. Grading it on the the sort of kids movie curve mm. and on what it intends to be. I mean, it's it's a better than average movie, but not by much. I don't know. Are we doing the numbers now? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'd say it's like a six, six and a half. I mean, it's it's better than not watching it. There's enough entertaining bits, and you know, Lowen's performance is really excellent. And I think this is, and we're going to get into this where Quaid starts making his his transition into his final form. You're witness to a great becoming. <laughs> I know. Although there's another final form, which is like basically the villain in Pacific Heights, but we'll we'll get there. Yeah, no, it's uh, like I think in general, like if you were gonna, if you told me, all right, uh, you, you got only these things on the streaming package, and you've got to sit down and watch something with your son for two hours, like I would watch this again. I'd be fine with it. I don't know if your son would like it. <laughs> He's got the the child's screwball diet that unfortunately this movie has where like if you hear big band swing and people are moving fast it must be funny you know? right true i'm gonna give it a five i have some serious problems with it in its inception but as a kid's movie i think it's fine yes it's too long but there are a lot of charming parts in it martin made me laugh a bunch of times like literal crusty granddad always enjoyable <laughs> for me and lohan huge star and you get that and not for nothing. This is the first time in weeks that we've seen Quaid's teeth in a movie. <laughs> Part of this is the Quaid Qua Quaid rating, which we'll get to in a second. But I mean, it was just nice to not be feeling like doomy with a bunch of blue filters in the big open spaces of the American West. So five for me. T-Bone? I'm going to give it a seven. I think this is as I said up top, like all Nancy Myers movies, you go into it wanting to get a snapshot of like culture style of the time. This is so 98. There's a point where they're in the isolation the isolation cabin and there's like a completely needless pan across like all the shit they have in there. <laughs> yeah. they, they're only there for, you know, it's supposed to be a punishment. I mean, you said in your intro that they seem to be there all summer. You're right. I would have thought it was just like, okay, for two days, you guys have to work your shit out. But then they're like putting all their pictures up on the walls and stuff, whatever. Yeah. They pan through everything that's in there. And there's like two little bottles of hard candy nail polish. I was uh -huh. like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the pure 98 right yeah. there. <laughs> there's also, I think, a Bop magazine. This will be in the visual aids. Mm -hmm. um, there's literally a Corey on the front. It's it's good. Very yeah. 98. Nice. 
Yeah, I mean, the wind kicks up and it, it ruins a picture of Leo. Like, it's just, it's it's uncut 98 the whole way through. And I <laughs> love it for that. Also, the like, all of the wardrobe, everything is delightful. Should this have been a series instead of a movie? Like, maybe, but that's not what we were doing in 98. No. So, uh, yeah, it's a seven for me. Yeah. What we were doing was a lot of square neck tank tops, and uh, those will be in the visual aids as well. <laughs> all right. Quaid Quack Wade. I mean, I didn't sort of expect this not to be Quaidy. I think this is going to be a like, you know, lead in the obit for him. And this was like the sort of second generation of Quaid fans was born with this film, but he doesn't show up for like 45 minutes. Yeah. That's kind of tough. And here he and Elizabeth are almost reuniting, but not quite in his wine cellar which okay you know what it's a kid's With movie so many candles who lit those candles <laughs> like jesse's been gone all day did you come down here and light all those candles before you brought her down here you fucking cheesemo but anyway what were you gonna say <laughs> it's the wine monster does that okay here's clip four that one actually took me years to track down why was it from it's the wine that we drank at our wedding I know I have every bottle ever made. You do? I do. Can we open one? You're the only one I'd drink it with. You okay? Oh, yeah, I've just got a little dust in my eye. Hmm? I can offer you a clean sleeve. No, no, I'm fine, really. All better. You don't always have to be so brave, you know. This whole scene is like assembled out of parts of other motivations. I don't even <laughs> understand that last line. Yeah. In context, like there, this is, hasn't been part of her sort of character brief to date. And yet Quaid really sells this shit, I gotta say. Yeah. I think the two of them have really good chemistry, like starting from when they first see each other. She knows she's going to see him at that hotel in San Francisco. He doesn't know she's coming. So he's in an elevator with Meredith and he sees her as the door is closing and like slides over to be like, what? Uh -huh. In the visual <laughs> From that moment. Yep. Like, it's, it's good. And she just like gives him a little like, hello, <laughs> wave. <laughs> like, they, I think they both sell being helplessly into each other, him more so than her, I think. Yeah. I think that's true. Jeb, thoughts? I think Quaid isn't yet in command of his instrument as a, uh, I can't believe you're going to make me say this, Dilf. Um, no one made you say that. That was <laughs> no. your choice. Is Zaddy better? But, uh, but I mean, finally, we have the kind of Quaid baby voice being deployed again. Yes. In, the, uh, yes. in its proper context. Mm -hmm. There are a couple readings on that where I think he should have had the courage to go back a little more rakish mm -hmm. that I do, though. Everybody's going to be like, ah, I, I know in what other context that's said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, his overall score, obviously, is, you know, the, the problem is it, it takes a while to see him. But when he is there, he's not necessarily owning the screen, but he's carrying all the weight of your waiting for him. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah. Well, and the first shot of him is like he's waiting on the tarmac at the airport to pick up fake Hallie. The camera like zooms in on him as that smile spreads across his face. And it's like, got it. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> 
why on earth did they break up? Like, I think this is excellent casting, especially of him in terms of, okay, but they broke up and they, you know, there's this whole like Rube Goldberg non-custody, non-arrangement in play. Like, this is never going to work to try to change them back. And then you see him and you're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay. We're all on board. Let us know what we can do. I will also say that Dennis Quaid's bona fides as a Hollywood galoot helps him sell or at least helps sell the the fact that, again, everybody who's doing secret stuff in this is doing it as loud as possible uh-huh. and he still doesn't notice. And you're like, well, of course he wouldn't notice. It's, it's Dennis Quaid, the Labrador. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not well, usually... Well, he's also supposed to be horny for his new fiance, too, so that, you know, that would be distracting also. Yeah. That he doesn't entirely sell, but that's really on how she's written and directed. So true. I'm not going to mark off for that. I do think it's extra points that he's basically being asked to play a straight man in a lot of slapstick farce situations that usually he'd be more of a catalyst than a reactor. And he does pretty well. And Jeb, Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned the baby voice because that's definitely in that clip, but he has better control of it. And this is a better use of it than, hey, Sally, (laughs) why don't you just tell us the name of the movie you'd like to be nominated for? So shall we score this Quack Wade? Jeb, do you want to start? I think, I mean, again, as I said earlier, we're witness to a great becoming. It's Mm -hmm. Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid changing. Do you see? Again, like he he hasn't quite gotten all the tone that he's going to need on it, but you're seeing that like, you know, he's not a pitcher. He's more of a thrower. It's, you know, that there's a... (laughs) Mm-hmm. The the fastball on the sexy dad vibe is coming out. So I'd say like a seven. Okay. You know, just because like for the duration that we're not getting as much of, of him and he hasn't quite honed it, but we're we're so on the way. Agree. I would start him at a 10. I'm taking off uh, a point for the fact that he doesn't show up until like 40% of the way through the movie. And uh, I'm taking another point off for the fact that to date, stereotypical Quaid has been a very different kind of Quaid that is not PG. But then you see the grin. The grin does what it's supposed to do. So yeah, that's an eight for me. Tara? Yeah, eight eight sounds right. And I just want to back up and say, all of your talk about like this is him becoming a sexy dad is something to talk about erasure. Guys, he was a dad in that too. He was a scumbag dad who was cheating on his wife, but still. But yes, this is uh, maybe 7.5 because he doesn't actually fuck. But you can tell in every scene he fucks. Yeah. Whether you see it or not, you know he does. Well, so you know they did at on least eight. once because, hello. They did. <laughs> they definitely did. Where where did the red hair come from, though? That's, that's my real question. All right. Well, uh, this is a pretty big bounce back in the... Quaid Quaid department. Uh, season five has been wandering in the Colorado desert for, for a while. So uh, I'm glad he's back. And Tara, I'm glad that you could come back and, uh, and join us for this. I'm thrilled to. This great becoming. Thank you. Uh, where else can our listener hear your voice? <laughs> <laughs> All of the podcasts that you listed up top, Mondays are again with this. Tuesdays, listen to Sassy. Oh, Mondays is also when Sweet Smell of Succession is on, where I'm recapping the HBO drama comedy Succession with Dave Chen. And then we've got Listen to Sassy on Tuesdays and Extra Hot Great with you, Sarah D. Bunting, uh, mm-hmm. on Wednesdays. All right. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me. Next time on Quaid in Full, Playing by Heart. 
In the meantime, open a 1921 Burgundy and check out our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at QuaidInFullPod. And you can get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash QuaidInFull. QuaidInFull is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? That's so people wake up in the middle of a pond, people. So sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review QuaidInFull so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Did you have fun? Well, I wouldn't go right to fun. <laughs>